Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you for being with us. If we have not met and you are brand new, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor, and I would love to have a chance to meet and greet you, answer questions, and uh, help you find a church home, because if this is not a fit for you, let me know. And uh, we know plenty of churches have uh, great connections. We just want to see you uh, get connected to a church community, but we are a little biased. We like K-First. Um, we're going to be all over the scriptures today, so if you have your Bible app, uh, some of you don't know that there is a Bible app that you can download to your smartphones uh, that you can open up, and you can actually follow along in all of the sermon notes, all of the scriptures. I, I don't think, uh, I'm a guy that when it comes to like e-books and, and devices, I love my devices, but I love paper and ink, uh, being able to uh, circle scriptures, underline them, cross out the ones that don't apply to me, stuff like that. Kidding, don't. Your guest, he does what? No, 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 no. Uh, I love highlighting and writing and, and documenting and and uh, writing, even writing sermon notes. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, had the privilege of doing the funeral for Dick Ballinger, who has been a longtime member of K First, ordained for 56 years with the assemblies, and uh, they gave me his Bible to look through before the funeral. And looking at the amount of sermon notes on the inside margins of his Bible just astounded me. And so I actually have pictures on my phone of some of those sermon notes of his I'm going to steal at some point. Um, love, love, love seeing how God is working in, in people's lives. Um, yesterday was warm. Do you know anybody who's already complained about the heat? My wife is married to one of those. Yesterday, literally finished mowing the lawn, which I think is one of the best things to do. I love mowing the lawn because Google Earth at some point will take a good picture and uh, make sure the lawn, so the lawn has to look nice at all times. But I think I was complaining yesterday. Um, and if you were with us last week, last week Easter was just phenomenal. Uh, I set a record by butt dialing nine different people during the sermon. That was my... That's now a new record. I hope to not have to beat. My parents called, tried texting me at different points saying, hey, you're sounding great, but don't call us during church. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting uh, moment yesterday, uh, last week. This week, we start off a new series. And the series is just simply called Follow Me. And for the first time in, I think, 13 years, no, 12 years, it's been 12 years, First time in 12 years that we have done a series that has been inspired out of a book. It was 12 years ago. I would have been here one year as your pastor. We did a series called One Month to Live, and we based that idea, the inspiration out of the book, One Month to Live. And we sold the books, and we had a ton of books go out. It was a fantastic, fun series. And this series uh, is going to be very similar. So if you have never read Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, um, we've got a handful that are left. We sold a ton last week. Uh, and we're going to be going through this on Wednesdays. So in between every Sunday of this series, 7 to 8 on Wednesday, right in the cafe, right through that wall, um, join us. Uh, we're just going to have open table discussions, conversations, and just take this thing deeper. So if you ever want to follow along, you want to order the ebook on Amazon or Kindle, more power to you. I'm going to leave my copy up here. If you take my copy, the curses of Deuteronomy. Uh, no, I won't go that intense. Uh, but please don't take my copy. Take it, uh, look through it, set it back down, take a picture of it. That's how I look for books is I take pictures and then look for them later on Amazon. If we run out, Amazon, prime it to yourself. Um, but we're going to go through this on Wednesdays. I think this is one of the best discipleship books I've ever read in my life. And I've, uh, we just let our staff through it, walk through it together. And I would ask that you just kind of join in and be a part of it. If you don't want to come Wednesdays, 
Get the book, read it. I promise you, uh, it will absolutely transform your life and challenge you to be a deeper follower of Christ because that's what we're all about here. We want to be more than a people that will find Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. Jesus did not send us here to create converts. He wanted us to make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, he says, go and make disciples. And that's where we get the term, follow me. In fact, the words follow me in scripture, you can look and find it seven times recorded in the book of Matthew, four times in Mark, four times in Luke, seven times in John. Jesus uses those pivotal words, follow me. In fact, let me give you two of them. Mark 1, 17. Jesus said to them, follow me and you, I will make you, make you become fishers of men. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And he passed and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed. Those words, follow me, were so pivotal, so monumental. It seems so simple. Follow me. Okay, that's Jesus just wants them just to kind of just kind of follow along. No, those words follow me were laced with expectation. They're laced with challenge. They say what you're doing right now, not necessarily like these fishermen, they were literally fishing, but he was saying what you're doing in this moment, the way your life is pointed, the direction your life is going, I want you to stop that direction and begin to follow me. So that's what we're going to talk about for the next uh, six weeks, is we're going to talk about how to follow Jesus. How can you and I become greater disciples of Jesus Christ? Now you may say, well, Pastor Dave, I'm already a disciple of Jesus, so uh, this is kind of superfluous for me. I'm here to say that you're either growing in Christ or you're not growing in Christ. It's one or the other, and I've been serving Jesus for a long time. I've got my, my degree from Bible college is in Bible. I'm ordained by the Assemblies of God. I've been serving Jesus a long time. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what my resume is. I ought to be growing in Jesus. I, you ought to be growing in Jesus. And what I love is Jesus, just with two words, came and interrupted, interrupted what people were doing and called them to be with him. And so today I want to talk about identity. Because a lot of times we derive our identity from what we are doing. But there is a massive difference between doing something and actually being with somebody. And yet so much of our culture gets us to pour ourselves into something to derive our identity. We pour ourselves into jobs. We pour ourselves into family. We pour ourselves into our finances. We pour ourselves into our hobbies. And none of those things are sinful. They're not sinful. Those are wonderful things. But none of them were ever equipped to give us our identity. But yet we work at those things. And we're so in the pattern of doing that Jesus simply says, follow me. And what he's trying to say is stop all of your doing that you're trying to derive your identity from and learn how to be with me because it's being with me, Jesus says, is where your true identity comes from. We work and we work. We're all about doing. And why do we do that? Because we're trying to make people aware of us. We want to do in order for somebody to see us important. We constantly do for people in order for people to turn their eyes toward us and to see some sort of value in us. But I'm here to say that Jesus doesn't need you to do to find value. He wants you to simply be with him. And when we rest in that type of approval, you discover incredible freedom. 
See, following Jesus is not following Jesus in order to get approval. Following Jesus is the polar opposite. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, right then and there, you've got the approval of God. Now, the approval of God is not so you can go and do whatever you want in life. Well, that means I could just keep going on sinning. I can keep on doing the worst of the worst of this world, and I've got God's approval. I'm here to say that's not how it works, because it's not we are approved and we live the way we want. We've got the approval of God in order to give us freedom to live now and to discover that. And so when we rest in God's approval and stop working for God's approval, we start resting in that, you discover incredible freedom. Well, pastor, what type of freedoms do we experience? I'm glad you've asked me that question. We get freedom from being bound by what other people think. When you get the approval of God, you're no longer bound by what other people think. Let me give you a word this morning. You're not going to please everybody. And some of them go to your church. You're not going to please everybody. And sometimes you're married to them. You're not going to please everybody. Sometimes they're your children. They're your neighbors. Sometimes they're your, 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 your work, workmates. What's a workmate? The people you work with. Coworkers. There's the word I'm looking for. But when you have God's approval, you're no longer bound to thinking, well, what are they thinking? Because their thinking determines who I am. You've got freedom from that. Secondly, you have freedom from guilt of letting other people down. Let me just tell you this. If you're going to serve the Lord, you will let people down. Some of you need to let that sink deep down. I have a conversation with people about this way more often than you realize because when you start following Jesus with your life, you, be, you're, you're, you will begin to say things like, I feel like I'm letting people down. I feel like people are disappointed in me. People want me to live a certain way. They want me to do activities. You know what they're let down by? They're not let down by your decision to live free in the, the approval of God. They're let down by the fact that their opinions and their approval no longer controls you. Because you're not going to be who they want you to be. You're not going to live the way you want them to live. That's freedom there. Thirdly, you get freedom from taking cues in life from other people. You get to start taking your cues from Christ. This idea of freedom, that we want to live in such a way where we don't have to take cues from, from, in life from other people and not the Lord. We don't want our cues to come from humanity. We want our cues to come from Jesus. We want to look and say... It's the old school with 90s. Remember the bracelets back in the 90s? WWJD, what would Jesus do? I've always sometimes, somebody said this, a pastor, sometimes I just think, what would Pastor Dave do? I'm like, oh, don't ever live that way, ever. You'll be cheering for the worst sports teams you've ever cheered for. What would Jesus do? It's how does Jesus want me to live? Because when we rest in God's approval, we can have freedom from being bound, from deriving our identities from the people around us. Because you're going to look at your life and realize there are some people that are going to approve of you and there's some people that are not going to approve of you. But our identity has to be found in Christ. Because when your worth is founded on anything other than Christ, you begin to cheapen the value you possess. We cannot live our life according to somebody else's assessment of our lives. How many of us have spent, have spent time, have spent energy, emotional energy, physical energy, mental energy, trying to live up to somebody's appraisal of who we are and how valuable, how valuable we are. But I wonder if we can get some rest in our lives. If we stop living for the approval of man and just live for, we sing this back in the 90s, the approval of one, the audience of one, the one savior 
creator, the one Lord, the one master, one creator. What if we live from that place? And as we live from approval, we discover the freedom that God is wanting to give us. Let me give you three, three great verses on identity. Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I am, it's no longer I that lives. I'm no longer living for me. I'm no longer living for others. I live for Christ. John 1, verse 12 through 13. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, but of the, nor the will or the flesh, uh, nor the will of man, but of God. Do you see that? For all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I mean, I just want to preach right now about adoption. I want to preach right now about that which we were born in, the sin and the brokenness, and I want to talk about the adoption, that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are brought into a family. We are given the rights, the power, the authority as children of God. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You've been adopted. You've been pulled in. You have been given a new name, a new identity. In fact, I wrote it this way. Our identity, if our identity is found in anything other than Christ, we are forfeiting who God has designed us to be. So to find our true identity, to really find out who we are. People say, well, I just got to be true to me. I just got to be true to me. Listen, I think that is one of the craziest things to ever say is just to simply be true to me. Because me changes like the, the blowing of the wind. Me changes like Michigan weather. I got to be true to me. I really don't even know who me is. Depending upon what happens, the weather, the state of my sports teams, the state of my marriage, the state of my, the economics of my life, the state of my job, the state of this, the state of this. Do you realize how often we have taken a gift in life and we have made it our identity? We take our marriage. We t marriage is a gift. Your spouse, turn to your spouse right now and say, you're a gift. Thank you for doing that quickly. There is a pause in there. I do marriage counseling. How many have taken our kids and made them our identity and all of a sudden the kids are gone and we don't know what to do with ourselves? We make our jobs our identity. Our job was meant to be a gift, but we make it an identity and all of a sudden we retire and we've lost all purpose in life. Or we made our economics our identity through 2008 through 2010. The amount of counseling and conversations I had with people who lost the economics of their life and they feel like they lost their purpose. They lost who they were because what they were is gone out of the bank account. It's gone out of their investments. Or even, let's pick on this one, sexuality. We live in a day and age where a gift, God gave sexuality not as an identity, but a gift. But all of a sudden something comes, something happens within a life, something happens within marriage, and immediately we've lost our identity. And I'm here to say that we can sit there and try to place gifts as the center of our life. But God says, let me be the center. Let me be your identity. Because if we can find our identity in Christ, we can be who God has called us to be. But anytime we supplant who God is at the center of our life, we will begin to chase things that were never meant or equipped to provide those things. And to discover our true identity in Jesus, we have to learn how to be with Jesus. The title of the message is, Being with is greater than doing for. 
Some of us are working so hard to try to be Christ-like. Can I give you a key? Stop trying to be Christ-like and start being with Christ. Because when you learn to be with Christ, the Christ-likeness comes out of that. But often, we're so busy. Why are we so busy doing, doing, doing? Because doing is where we can control it. But what if, what if we could change the paradigm around so that we can learn to simply be with Jesus? And when we're with Jesus, perhaps, 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 out of that we could begin to learn to be like Jesus. What a great story out of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we've got the story of two sisters, and Jesus is in a, a home of a friend. We know this man by the name of Lazarus. In fact, you could read about the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. But there is a story how Jesus is reclining at a table, and, and he says, He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed them into her house. Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus. Sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Does doing things for Jesus ever stop? It doesn't stop. But we have to understand there's a difference between I am working for my identity and I have received my identity because I was with him. And so often we've turned into Martha's in the church. And Martha is wonderful. And I'm not going to knock Martha because somebody's got to get the stuff done. Somebody's got to volunteer. Someone's got to run sound. Someone's got to preach. Someone's got to do this. Someone's, that stuff has got to get done. But that should be the spillover and not the driver. Where you got to learn how to be with. And our society is so busy that we promote busy. We get addicted to busy. And then we get on social media. And then we talk about how busy we are so that we can get people liking us. Because if enough people can like us, then we can feel whole again. And then when you don't get whole again, then you... Message the pastor saying, I noticed you didn't like my posts. And I'm like, uh, sorry. <laughs> my bad. Or you write your friends. And pastor, I can't believe people didn't like my post as much as I thought. Listen, we've got to stop being busy trying to get something that we were never meant to contrive it from. And if we can learn how to simply be a Mary and be with Jesus, perhaps, perhaps we can find, and I know we'll find, that wholeness that our soul has been longing for. Got to slow down. And intentionally be with Jesus. Pete Scazzaro gives uh, three true statements, which I absolutely love. He says this, you cannot give what you do not possess. You want to give? Be with Jesus. You want to have something to give? Stop drawing out of a dry well and learn how to be with Jesus. Secondly, he says this, what you do for the Lord is important, but who you are is even more important. Now notice, what you do is important. Please, every single one of you, if this is your church home, y'all ought to be volunteering somewhere. This is your church. Be a part of the church. Be a participator. But that never, ever, ever supplants who you are. That is the most important thing. And thirdly, he says this, the state you are in is the state that you give to others. The state that you're in, that means if you are constantly full of anger, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be angry. If you're constantly full of cynicism, you know what you're going to give out to other people? You're going to give out a cynical spirit. Whatever you are full of, 
That's what you give out. And ladies and gentlemen, if we can simply learn how to be with Jesus, when you're full of Jesus, do you know what you're going to give out of your life? You're going to give Jesus. And so we've got to constantly ask the question, what are we giving out of? What kind of human are we becoming? Now notice, we're not made in human doings. This is old school, maybe some, somewhat cliche. But God didn't make us in a human doing. He made us in a human beings. We need to learn how to be with Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13 says this. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. That word right there, work, is the word aragon. Uh, sounds like something from Lord of the Rings, but it's not. Aragon is the Greek word for energy. It is the idea that there is something being worked out. You're working out your own salvation. Now, it's not working for salvation. It's working out your salvation. That's what I love about the translation here. That when it comes to God, you're supposed to have an experience. Now listen, I've heard it for years. I've grown up in a Pentecostal church. I've been a charismatic most of my life. Um, that's just been a part of my life. I love that part of my life. I've had people say, well, you charismatics, you Pentecostals, you're only worried about experiential things. I'm like, well, no, but yes. I want to experience Jesus. I don't want to come into church and just stand there and just be playing a religious game. I want to experience Jesus, but you don't care about doctrine. But listen, you can be full of desiring the experience with God and not sacrifice a lick of doctrine. Because Scripture says this. It says, not only in my presence, but much in my absence, believe in your own salvation, but work it out. Y'all got to start working out. I'm not talking about running. I'm not talking about hitting the weights. I'm talking about when it comes to your walk and your identity in Jesus, do more than just believe. Put things into practice. When you show up in worship, you know, I'm going to challenge you. Do more than just simply sing. Then I want you to begin to experience. Open up your heart. Begin to engage in it. You know what? Some of you have never lifted your hands in worship. You know, like, Pastor Dave, that freaks me out a little bit. Then you know what? Go ninja style. Go little hands that turned out a little bit, okay? Go into the mold where you're holding the loaf of bread. The big bear hug. Touchdown Jesus. I don't care what position your arms are in. What I'm asking you to do is begin to work it out. Work out in your worship. Work out in your prayer times. Instead of maybe kneeling, walk and pray. Pace and pray. Go on a prayer walk through your neighborhood. Put things into this experience. Because I've learned this as a charismatic that I don't have to sacrifice doctrinal faith for experiential faith. You don't have to... Pick one or the other. You can do both. Work it out. And the scripture says with what? Fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that we cower before God wondering if he's going to strike us dead if we do something wrong. It's saying this, that our salvation is critical and powerful. We stay humble and we don't take it for granted. And then he says, for it is God who works in you to both work, will and work for his good pleasure. Now notice that God works in who? You which means that you have got to do something. He works alongside of you because as you walk in obedience to God, He works in you. God is not a puppet master. You are not the dummy sitting on His knee and He's the ventriloquist. You're not a dummy. Tell your neighbor, they're not a dummy. 
It's time to work out your salvation and to follow after Jesus. And I believe that we can intentionally, intentionally see change in our lives if we're willing to actively engage with Jesus. And so wrapping things up here, I've got I've to bring things to a close. Let me give you four ways to be changed. We're going to talk a little bit more about this on Wednesday. Four ways we can be changed by being with God. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, commune with Jesus throughout your day. Commune. What does it mean to commune? It's connection. It's conversation. It's communing. Scripture says in Psalm 16, uh, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. I love that key word. The Lord, I have set the Lord before me always. Always. The psalmist here says, I have made a decision that I'm going to make sure that God is a part of my day. That means, let me make it really practical. That means that we ought to be establishing spiritual rhythms to our day. Let me throw some out to you. Something that you can do on Monday. How about this? Pray and listen to the Lord while driving to work. Now, please, please, please do not close your eyes when you pray and drive. Christian jokes, I know. Terrible. But pray and drive. This is something that I do. Here's something that I do. This is a little, little kind of glimpse into my world. As I'm driving around the city, when I, see the, when I see a church, I pray over that church and I pray over the pastor. This may shock you. Pastors need your prayers. I, pray, I love praying over their families. Uh, sometimes I pray over businesses. But when you're driving, pray. How about this? Pray in your prayer language. If, the Holy, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and with the evidence of speaking in tongues, pray in your, in your prayer language. How about this? Say the Lord's Prayer at lunch. Well, is that kind of basic, Pastor Dave? I don't think Jesus taught us something basic. Disciples said, teach us how to pray. And he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Pray that at work. How about this? Read a psalm before bed. How about this? Go for a prayer walk. I'm reestablishing my Wednesday prayer walks. Go for a prayer walk through your neighborhood. How about using a prayer resource? I brought up here just numbers of resources here. Um, one of my favorite things, and I'm going to leave these up here. Do not steal them. Jesus is watching. Um, but after service, you want to come up and look through them. This is one of my favorite resources, period. This is called the Handbook to Prayer, Praying Scripture Back to God by Kenneth Boa. This is seriously one of my favorite things ever. You can do things by week. You can do things through the month. It is so simple. It's Scripture every day, and it's what you pray. Um, Janice gave me um, a journal for uh, kids that helps kids to learn how to pray and the journal. Uh, Andrew Murray is fantastic. There's another one up here called God Guides, which is a very, a very simple breakdown of how God speaks every single day. Uh, to get into some deeper stuff, there's the Celebration of Discipline uh, by Richard Foster. This is tremendous. Um, here's some deeper stuff. The, personal prow uh, the Power of Personal Prayer, Learning How to Pray with Faith and Purpose. Um, Bill Johnson's Hosting the Presence of God every single day. Andrew Murray's Abiding in Christ. I mean, we've got some great resources, but there's so many online. Find a way to get into a spiritual pattern. Did you know on your phones that if you get the Bible app, that you can sign up for prayer things every single day, devotions every single day, you can actually do them with others and get notifications for it. Get yourself into a pattern. Uh, there's the St. Ignatius Prayer of Examine, which is praying and listening. Lecto Divina, which is praying the scriptures. There's practicing Sabbath. Did you know that resting your body is a spiritual practice? 
resting and refreshment. I'm going to do a series on Sabbath someday. I'm going to talk about what Sabbath is and what Sabbath is not. You know what I love to do on the Sabbath? I've already talked about it. I love cutting my grass on the Sabbath. My, it's why it's restful to me. It, is, it brings joy to my life. And some of us, we are working ourselves to the bone. And my dad used to say, work yourself to the bone and all you get is bony fingers. But what if we got to the place where we realized that when you are resting, resting is just as productive as work is. And some of you, when your phones are acting up, you have no problem hitting the reset button so that your phone gets a little bit revived and works correctly, but you won't do it for your own life. Sabbath is part of a spiritual rhythm. Adding worship music to your environment. How many of you have ever done that? We, I do that in the car. I do that in my office. Some of you may, may be in the middle of a fight with your spouse. Just put on worship music and just see what happens. Shut that thing off. We're not done yet. But adding worship. I'm trying to give you the practice of, of trying to find ways to commune with Jesus throughout your day. Get yourself in spiritual rhythms. Number two. Oh, I love this one. We could talk about this all day. Feeling your feelings. We'll talk about this a little bit on, 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 uh, on Wednesday. See, when we hear feelings, we label people with one word, D-R-A-M-A. Oh, there's the drama of feelings. Pastor Dave with his feelings. He wants us to get in touch with our feelings. Well, yes, kind of. But if you look through two-thirds of the Psalms, two-thirds of the Psalms are David's laments and David's feelings. Job, in the book of Job, we have Job's rantings. We have Jeremiah's depression. We have Moses' anguish. Some of us have been pushing our feelings down and we're someday going to simply become a jack-in-a-box. And the theme of your life is... My kids say the wrong thing. Pop. Some of us have been are living our lives like a jack-in-the-box. And we've been pushing down our feelings, not truly understanding that when we ignore our feelings and we ignore what's happening deep down, that we're actually ignoring and sometimes even missing the voice of God in our lives. Feelings, they're not the, they're not the engine. We taught this two years ago. Feelings are not the engine. They are the dashboard. And when the dashboard is blinking, you can either put a piece of tape over that or you can pay attention to what's going on inside of your soul. When we ignore what's happening on the inside, listen, it's not there to drive the train. It's there to say something is going on and it's time to pay attention. And there are times that I've had to listen to my sadness. I've had to listen to my anger. I've had to listen to it, not so it can drive me, but so I can find out what is God trying to speak in my life. We need to ask about our feelings. We need to ask ourselves, why am I always in a, in a hurry? Why am I always impatient? Why is my anxiety there? Why am I so angry? Why am I defensive? Why do I feel I need to be in control? Why am I avoiding conflicts? Why do I let others mistreat me? Why, why? Some of us need to dig deep down, listen to the feeling, and figure out what the why is. Because if you can find out the why, perhaps we can actually hear the voice of God about that and learn how to be with God in that. What's driving my anxiety? This is driving it. Now, Jesus, I need to be with you because now I need you to help transform that area. You need to help me with that area. Learn how to feel your feelings. And a way to do that is number three, through silence and contemplation. Anybody here, you love silence? A handful of people. My wife is the one that spoke up, by the way. 
I went away for like three days climbing with Ethan in Kentucky, and I came home, and I'm like, was it too quiet? She goes, not at all. One of God's greatest gifts to our marriage is my Apple AirPods. You don't want to know why? Because it connects with the Apple TV. So the TV can be on and the football game can be on and there's no sound. It's only in my ears. And she's like, this is the greatest thing God's ever invented right here. If she can just keep me quiet during a game, that would be a whole different issue. But silence and contemplation. Psalm 62 says this. For God alone, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Silence. Silence is turning down our noise to listen to his. Turning down our voice to hear his. Turning down all of these voices so we can listen to his. It's where our agendas get the pause button. So that in silence, we can be transformed by God. Some of you, you have been praying and praying and praying for the voice of God. And the problem is, is you keep asking for the voice of God, but you haven't paused long enough to hear it. And that's where silence is a gift. Letting go. Releasing the sounds of the noise of this world and simply being with. Some of y'all, today, you need to take a walk to the asylum uh, and go to the preserve and just go walk by the lake there and just sit and listen to the sounds of the lake and let the Spirit of God either speak to you or sometimes even mend your soul. And that brings me to number four. My challenge to you is this. is not just to be in silence. But to this week, would you make a radical decision? Worship team, would you join me? Make a radical decision. What I mean by radical, radical, it's one of my favorite words that I brought over from the 80s. I love the 80s. I love that Pete Scazzaro brings it up in his book, Making Radical Decisions. But sometimes we need, to make this, we need to make decisions that are so far outside of what our normal is. But you know what? If you never break the normal, don't ever expect to stop living the normal. Sometimes we need to break the normal with radical decisions. Sometimes you need to break from a present habit or rhythm that is contrary from you growing in the Lord. Whenever I preach about that, I think about my grandma Price. My grandma Price, she was infamous for saying something to me that irritated the snot out of me. Like, for example, I remember when I missed, uh, I missed the registration for Macomb Community College my senior year. I missed registration. They didn't get signed up for classes. And I told grandma, I can't believe I forgot about that. She goes, oh, you didn't forget about it. It wasn't important to you. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, if it was important to you, you would have remembered. And in the day and age of smartphones and alerts and alarms, we need to actually look at our growing in the God, our God or our lack thereof, and simply ask the question, what do we need a break from that is contrary to you growing in the Lord? Well, Pastor Dave, I don't have time to read Scripture. I don't have time to, to wait in the Lord's presence in silence, but yet we binge shows all the time. Make a break. And not against binging shows. I love shows. But make a break from being overcommitted and too busy. Some of us, we have overcommitted our lives to things, not recognizing that we are trying to do for rather than simply being with. Some of us need to break old patterns that don't include Jesus. Jesus. 
Some of us just need to break from being apathetic because we, we don't care about our relationship with Jesus. We come to church. We put our faith in Jesus. We're good now. Let me tell you this. I can't imagine getting married to my wife, putting the ring on her finger, kissing her, saying, we're good now. Some of you are like, that's not what we're supposed to do. No. Learn to be with. Where we make a decision, we give them our life, and we commit that God is going to have as much inside as he's going to have on the outside. That we're not going to be worried about performing for him. That we're just going to learn to rest in his presence. And we learn how to simply be with Jesus. And that's been my prayer over this morning, that we will learn how to be with that I pray this morning that God will wrestle us out of some apathy and begin to have a craving to learn how to be with. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31, 31 says this, They that wait on the Lord, he shall renew their strength. And they will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. My heart for today, and we'll talk a little bit more about it on Wednesday night as we kind of dive into chapters. I think it's one, one and two. Even getting into some of chapter three. What we're going to talk about is how we are so slave to doing four. And doing four is awesome if it flows out of being with. And if we can learn how to be with, we actually understand the doing four. When I finally got this I remember finally, in my, it was in my late teens, early 20s, when I got out of the mode where I had to keep doing, I had to keep doing, I had to do, because this is what good Christians do. When all of a sudden it, it got down in my soul, if I could just simply be with Jesus, I learned that all of the stuff that I was doing, actually some of the stuff was stuff that never needed to be done to begin with. Because it flows out of being with. Would you bow your heads?